we get into our message this morning, that hymn was chosen to get us to reflect for just a few moments on who our God is. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. Part of the reason to reflect on that is what we're going to see this morning as we get back into Job chapter 12, 13, and 14, that a huge portion of the problem that we have is that many of the struggles in Job's three friends and in Job's life come from or stem from a misconception of who God is. They think they know who God is. They think they know what God would say. They think they know how God's going to work, and yet all of them, in some way, have it wrong. This is 75 verses, and we're not going to go verse by verse through this, so we'd be here all afternoon, but this is Job's longest response. He's going to spend a long time responding because he's going to respond not only to Zophar, but to all three of his friends. As these conversations continue going on, Job is getting more and more impatient. And the more vehement and the more passionate his friends are, telling Job, you've got to figure out what the major sin is. We think you already know. And just take care of it, and then God will set everything straight. The more they pound on that, the more irritated and patient Job gets. In fact, to the point that when you look at chapter 12 and verse 2, he looks at his friends and, oh, that we could hear the voice of Job on this. He looks at his three friends and he says something to the effect of, uh, truly, you are the world-class wise men. And what's going to happen when you die? All of the wisdom will pass from the earth when you're no longer here. Now, Job doesn't think they're so wise. In fact, he goes on to tell them in the next few verses, I know just as much as you do. But these friends have just gotten under Job's skin. And as we see this response, we have to realize that for, who knows, hours, Job has been sitting with these men and they've been talking to him. And they have told Job nothing new. They've given Job nothing relevant. They haven't helped Job at all in the predicament that he's in. So what is the importance of this response? Why take a message to talk about Job's response to these three men? Why take three chapters in Scripture for Job to respond again? Well, there's two things we need to get a handle on as we see Job progressing through his difficulties. Because there are areas that are going to affect us eventually in our lives as well. Number one, this is the first time in chapter 13, verse 22, that Job is going to look out and he's going to directly address God and say, Lord, I want to have a dispute with you. We need to talk, as it were, face to face. In chapter 13, verse 22, he says, then call. He's talking to God. Call and I will answer. Or let me speak and you reply to me. Think about that for a moment. Who's Job talking to? Job is talking to the Almighty God. Job is talking to the one that as he looked at his life having fallen apart, he said, you know, God, you had the power to do that. You did that. And yet he looks at him in his frustration. He says, look, it's time to talk. Either you let me talk and respond, or you got to talk to me and let me respond. But I've had enough of this. You're on dangerous ground when you respond to the Almighty God that way. And so that's where Job has gotten. But not only that, in all of this time, in the seven days of contemplation, and in, even during the speeches of his friends, my guess is Job wasn't paying close attention to the speeches of his friends. He knew they were off base. He'd had enough. But during that time, Job is able to really solidify in his mind, if I have an opportunity to talk with God, here's my questions. Number one, chapter 13, verses 23 and 24, how many are my iniquities? In other words, what did I do that was so bad that you took away everything? My ten children, all of my goods, 
my servants, all that I was responsible for. And then secondly, why do you count me as your enemy? Does Job have it right? Again, Job's friends, they had some truths about God, but they totally missed it when they were talking about Job and his circumstance. Now Job looks at his circumstance and says, God, you know, how bad was my sin that you judged me this severely? Because I can't even figure out what I did. I don't think I did anything. I think I'm righteous. If you just give me the opportunity to explain to you, I can explain it to you as if God needs an explanation. But after that, he looks and says, and why are you my enemy? Is God the enemy of Job? If Job had only been privy to that conversation again, there's nobody like him in all the earth. But Job looks at what happened, and Job has a misconception of who God is and what's happening in his life. Now, again, speaking of misconceptions, some of you are going to get to this verse, and I was looking forward to chapter 13. Job can be difficult to preach through in some sections. And then you get to chapter 13 and verse 15, and there's a lot of people who know this verse. There's a lot of people who quote this verse. There's a lot of people who pull this verse out of context, and if they knew what they were really quoting and hanging on to as a promise, might think twice. Because in chapter 13 and verse 15, Job says, Though you slay me, if you learned it in the KJV, it says, Yet will I trust Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In the ESV, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. And it sounds like wonderful theology, but what is Job saying? When you look at that passage, it's in the midst of the next part of that verse, says, yet I will argue my ways to his face. Job's not saying, my hope is in you, Lord. My trust is in you, Lord. Job's saying, my only hope is if you'll listen to my case and vindicate me. You need to listen, Lord, because you've got this wrong. Now, does Job ever come out and totally say, God, you're wrong? He kind of nibbles around the edges he kind of lets God know, if you just listen to me, you're going to tell me I'm innocent. I know that I haven't done this. And he's hinting at the whole time, God's wrong and I'm right. And that's what his friends are so upset about. You know, you, the Almighty is never wrong. But Job, in his misconception of things, has gotten to the point where he believes something's wrong. Something's wrong because his theology of God isn't connecting with his circumstances. And the reason that these passages that we're going to look at this morning are so important is we look at the idea of though he slay me and what we really should do with that is the fact that a lot of us have misconceptions just like Job. We've read things in the scripture and then we've looked and I, more than once I've had somebody very passionately, they'll take something in scripture and they'll tell me this is what I believe. And I get myself in trouble sometimes with my facial expressions. I can get myself in trouble with my words, too, so I can relate with Job as he's struggling here. But I'll give a facial expression like, you know, well, what are you talking about? And they'll look at me and say, no, Pastor, I know it's true because you just don't understand. In my experience, I found this to be true. And I think, be very careful. And I tell them, be very careful when you base your theology on part of what the Scripture says and part of what you've experienced. Because when Job does that, does he get it right? Job knew a lot about God. We're going to see in chapter 12 that Job has a whole theological, almost a hymn that he puts out on who God is and how God works. And Job gets all of that right. But when you look at Job's conclusion, it's wrong. But Job would have told you what? Pastor, based on my experience, this is how God is. And so we need to take a look at God, not from our experience, but from what the Scripture says and how the Scripture says he works and what the Scripture says he does. So first of all, I want to see Job's quick complaint against his friends. 
Job is going to go after his friends. Job is really, for the first time in chapter 12, very contemptuous toward his friends. He's getting very, very, not only irritated, but way past irritated with his friends. In chapter 6, he expressed his disappointment in them. They weren't the kind of friends he thought they were. He also expressed their disloyalty in chapter 6 and their callousness. He said, you're not even listening to me. You don't understand what I'm going through. But when Job gets to chapter 12, he gets to a whole new level of disdain for these guys. Because they keep getting it wrong and they keep driving it home to the point, as I shared with you in the uh, introduction, he says in verse 2, no doubt you are the people and wisdom will die with you. Does he believe that? Does he believe they've got much wisdom at all? No, but the sarcasm comes out and he said, you know, let me get your attention by saying, without your wisdom, the world's in big trouble. Now, the thing is, did Job's friends ever tell him they were the wisest men on earth? Job is taking this and he's taking it to a whole, it's the same thing his friends did to him. Job, you got to be sinning and let me tell you why. And it has to be terrible sin and let me tell you why. And your children must have sinned or they wouldn't have died and let us tell you why. And Job's frustrated when he said, well, let me try the same with you. You know, you are claiming to be the wisest men in the world. They hadn't. They were friends that were trying to help. They didn't have it right. And they probably should have kept their mouths shut. They probably did more good in seven days of saying nothing than in all the rest of the chapters that we've been reading since then. But Job looks and he said, you know, it's just not right. I've just had it with all those things. And they spoke in the conventional wisdom of their day. And when they told Job, if you do right, God will bless. And if you do evil, God will judge. Were they right? Does, Job, does God often work like that? Inevitably, is that how it's going to come out? You know, we went through Revelation. What happens in the end? If you obey God, there's a blessing. If you deny God, there's eternal judgment. But does it always work that way in our day and age every day? Do people who do good things get into trouble? Do bad things happen to good people? Yeah, they do. People write books about that. And people buy them off the shelves because they try to figure out. They're in the same place Job is. And so they've done that, but they've also they put their experience in there, their personal experiences. You know, Job, in my experience, when I look, and be careful if you're trying to make that into theology, your experience is not theology. And if you don't understand what God is doing fully, you can come out with the wrong theology of what God's up to. So we have to be very careful with that. So Job looks and he says to his friends, you know, I don't really care for what you're telling me. In verses 4 through 6, we go on and we see there, I'm a laughing stock to my friends. I called to God and he answered me, a just and blameless man, I'm a laughing stock. Job is looking and saying, look, I know the scripture just as well as you do. I know truths about God just as well as you do. And God's made me a laughing stock. And I don't know why. That's what Job is Again, still struggling with through these chapters, the whole why of why this is happening. He goes on in verses 7 through 11 of this chapter, and it basically says, you know, even the beasts of the field can tell you God must have done this. You know, when you are as well off as I was, things were going as well as they were, you're following God like you figure you ought to be, and suddenly it falls apart. It's got to be God. The question is why? And that's where he goes from complaining against his friends to his observations about his God. Now, verses 12, 13 through 25, we're going to spend just a few minutes there because this is a beautiful picture of some of who God is. When you sing immortal, invisible, God-only wise, many of those ideas come from this passage of Scripture and others like them. Because Job begins in verse 13, even in the midst of all of his frustration, and he says, with God our wisdom and might and his counsel, he has counsel and he has understanding. 
So Job's going to acknowledge who God is. The question is, chapter 12, verses 13 through 15, what is it really? Where did it come from? Why is Job bringing it in now? I mean, he's obviously irritated with his friends. He's obviously said some very pointed things in order to get their attention. He's obviously firing back in order to even up the score on some things. And then in the midst of that, he turns to God's sovereign rule and the way God works. And there are many commentators who say, you know, Job has just broke out in a wonderful hymn of praise. Does that make sense with where Job is in his heart and mind at the moment? Is Job in a praise kind of attitude? He's not there. He's frustrated. He's saying, God, you got, it's time to talk. I've had enough. So it's not likely that this is really just simply a hymn of praise because Job has no time for praise in his life right now. Job hasn't uttered a word of praise since chapter 2. Not only that, but others look and say, well, it's just an acknowledgement of God's power. And yes, it is an acknowledgement of God's power, but isn't that what Job is struggling with in the first place? God took his power and he zapped me with it. He took away everything I had. Now, what this really is, as we look at this, and we need to understand what Job is doing with this as we get into his observations about his God, is that this is Job's wisdom. His understanding of the nature of God's activity and the way he works because of who he is. Now, when you look at this chapter and you look at these verses, much of what we look at is going to be very, very accurate as far as who God is. When God comes and speaks to Job at the end of the book, and he talks about Job versus his friends, what does he say about Job's friends? You spoke about me things that were not true. Job spoke the truth. The truth about me. Not the truth about how I work, but the truth about me. And so many of these things are deep theological truths that we could take away with, with, but we need to realize that Job has a reason for this. Job is going to look into these things, and when we look at chapter 12, verses 13 through 25, and he talks about God's wisdom and God's might and the way that God works, it's interesting because every one of his examples is a reversal of somebody's fortunes. Somebody's at the top, and God brings them down. He never talks about the, uh, the opposite of that in this passage. When you look at it, in these 13, 14 verses, it's an idea of God is doing things that don't meet our expectations. He's taking kings and bringing them low. He's taking priests and humiliating them. And Job looks and says, God can do that. Because God is almighty. God is sovereign. God is in control. And Job knows that, and that's why he's having problems with these things. And that's why he begins going through all of this, because his depiction of God is now skewed by his experience. An almighty God who had me, who had my back, suddenly turned on me and made me his enemy. And I don't know why. But he can do that because he's God. And that's Job's experience. Now, Job has it right in some ways. Is God almighty? Is God wise? Does God understand? All of those things are true. Why is Job having a problem with it? Because his experience doesn't fit with where he thought God was going to go with that. Because as Job looks at it, he says, this wise, almighty God is always going to take the chaos around me and leave order behind him. And he is, but he's going to do it in his time. And Job looks at his life and says, that's not what happened to me. God took order in my life. Everything was laid out the way it was supposed to be. And he left me with chaos and he's become my enemy and I don't know why. I don't know what happened. I don't know what to do to fix it. And so, again, there's this big warning. Beware when your theology is formed by your circumstances. Job is going to have to repent at the end of the book. 
You know, we have to be careful because, again, we look at Job chapter 1 and 2, and God says that Job is blameless and that Job is upright and that there's nobody like him on all the earth. But is Job sinless? He's not sinless. As we go through the book, Job falls into different kinds of sin, mostly in his attitude toward God and his boldness in going after an almighty God because he doesn't like his circumstances. And if we're not careful, we can all end up there. You ever end up in circumstances that you didn't see coming? Or maybe you saw them coming and you were hoping they wouldn't arrive? And in the midst of them, what's the reaction? What's our normal reaction? The normal reaction is like Job to ask why. But when God doesn't display to us and tell us why right away, what's the next reaction? Depression? Anger? Bitterness? Job's going through all of these things. And so in the midst of this, he looks at this verse and he says, this great God, this God who has wisdom and understanding, let me tell you a little bit about him. He says here, he tears down and none can rebuild. He shuts the man in and none can open. Now why that, Job? Because look what he did to me. He tore me down and I can't put it back together. Here I sit in the ash heap. God did that. God took the richest man in the east and brought him low. He goes on and he says here later in this passage, if he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the land. Do we ever have to deal with drought? Do we ever have floods because we get too much rain too fast? Who's in control of all that? Job's looking and said, God controls that. He does as he will. Now we can ask and we can petition, but Job's gotten so cynical that he's looking and saying, I can ask and I can petition, but it doesn't matter because an almighty God's going to do whatever he wants whenever he feels like it. Now, is Job correct about God? God can do whatever he wants whenever he feels it's necessary, whenever he wants to move. But is God as callous and heartless as Job is laying him out to be? See, Job's experiences have tainted where he is on his whole relationship with God. God is almighty. God does do those things. God is sovereign and he does as he pleases. And what Job needs to remember is God does what he pleases whether it makes sense to us or not. Because he's all wise. Could not God have looked at Job and said, Job, wisest man in all the earth, what will the world do when you pass and wisdom is gone from the earth? The same thing he used, because that's where he's gotten in his timing. And then we're going to see another complaint against his friends. Job's not quite finished with his friends. His friends have been after him for chapter after chapter after chapter. Now, they didn't come with the chapters written, okay? They've been after him for hour after hour after hour, going after him for things that weren't correct. And so in Job chapter 13, in verse 1, Job begins again talking to his friends and says, Behold, my eyes have seen all this. My eyes have seen what God is able to do. How God is able to reverse the fortunes of those who think they've got it all together. My ears have heard and understood it. Now, why is Job starting that way? He's looking at his friends and saying, look, I'm not stupid. I'm not ignorant. I can see what God can do. I can see how God works. You don't have to tell me that for the 45th time. I'm telling you I'm innocent. I haven't done anything wrong, but I know how God works. And then he goes on to verse 2 and says, what you know, I also know. I'm not inferior to you. Job's got his dander up, and he looks, and he says, I don't know why you keep repeating the same stuff, because I know just the same things you do. And then in verse 3, he goes on and says, but I would speak to the Almighty. And here's where Job gets in trouble. It's not in speaking to the Almighty. He says, I would speak to the Almighty, and I would argue my case before him. What's Job trying to say? God got it 
wrong. Ever feel like God got it wrong in your life? And Job's going to go on, and we're not going to take the time to go verse by verse, so I encourage you to take a look at some of these passages. But Job's going to go on in verse 14 and talk about the fact that life is so short. And and you don't get to live it a second time. And once God brings you through these difficult times, it is what it is, and you can't change it. And wouldn't it be nice if I could, but I can't. And Job's struggling with all this because of who he thought God was. And so he looks at his friends, and he basically says, I already understand this. But then he lets them know one more time what he thinks of their wisdom. Verse 4 through 6. As for you, you whitewashed with lies. Worthless physicians are you all. Oh, that you would keep silent and it would be your wisdom. Again, he looks at his friends and he says, what? Basically, what you're spreading is a bunch of lies about me. I didn't do anything to bring this on myself. Then he goes on and says, you're worthless physicians. You ever have, don't raise your hand, but you ever have a worthless physician? So have you ever looked for another physician because they just, they're practicing medicine and their practicing isn't going well, they're not getting it? Okay, so Job looks at these guys and says, you know, you may have come with sympathy, you may have come trying to set things straight, but you really haven't done a thing for me. You're, you're awful, you're like a, a doctor who doesn't know what he's doing. In fact, when you were silent, Job looks back and says, you remember those seven days when you didn't say a word? Can you go back to that? Because there was more wisdom in that. There was probably more sympathy in that. Then when you opened your mouth and you started spewing things that weren't right about God, that weren't right about my situation. So he's struggling through all those things. And I, I doubt the Proverbs have been written yet in the time of Job, but it had it been, he probably would have read them in Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. He looks at these friends, he says, you know, quit spreading lies. Just Keep silent, and you'll be more wise than you are now. And then he goes on in chapter 13, and he talks about the fact that, you know, you haven't listened to my words, and you defended God's ways falsely. Job's whole point is God doesn't need you to defend his ways, especially when you're not right about what he's doing. And so here you are doing all these things. And finally, he says in verses 13 through 17, you all need to just be quiet, and I'm going to argue with the one who has the answers. I want to argue with God. You ever want to argue with God? Is Job going to get anywhere arguing with God? He's hoping, but isn't he hoping beyond hope? You ever hope beyond hope that something would happen when you know it's not going to happen, but you really like it to happen anyway? You know, I, I, when, I go, I, when I go see the doctor, I hope beyond hope that all my numbers are going to be perfect. You know, I, I've always I look and say, whatever you're eating, keep eating it. Yeah, whatever you're doing for exercise or not exercise, just keep doing it. He doesn't do that. I hope every time I walk in there knowing he's not. Yeah, when you go for, what do you wear when you go in for your examination from the doctor? Do you go get the heaviest boots you can find in the house? You know, you get that belt with the huge belt buckle, you stick it on, you go, I have a few extra pounds. Of I find the lightest clothes I can find because I'm hoping, man, I hope he's going to say, oh, you're doing well with your weight. Job is kind of there right now because he's hoping beyond hope that he's going to get a chance to talk to the almighty God who's brought him, who he believes brought him where he is, who he believes judged him for some reason, who he believes has taken all this away from him, and he's hoping beyond hope that he could talk to God, and God will say, what? You are really innocent. Could God have said that? It wasn't Job's fault. But the problem is, God. he wants God to then go on and say, And this is what I'm going to do to make it right. Does God need to make it right for Job? Job's life was set out to bring glory to God. 
God can do whatever he wants to do with Job. That's why when Job says, and we entitled the message, though he slay me, he's right. We ought to have that philosophy that whatever God wants to do with my life to bring him glory, I'm okay with that because my hope is in God. Because I have an eternal relationship with God that will never change no matter what he decides needs to be done in this life to bring him glory. I'm okay with that. And it's easy to say when things are going well, isn't it? Can you say that when things aren't going well? When you're the one sitting in the hospital bed? When you're the one with all the bills piling up and you don't know how to pay all these bills and catch up with things and you thought you had things under control? When you're the one whose family members have walked away from the Lord and you don't know what to do? And you spend nights agonizing in prayer over the fact that God bring my children back to you? Can you let God be God and work through all of those things or... Well, you have to insert the fact that, God, let me tell you how you should have done it. And that's where Job's problem is in all this. Job has some demands. Does Job realize who God really is? I'd say yes, he does. Look at chapter 13. We're just going to look at a couple of verses here. He says in verses, chapter 13, verses 18 and 19, Behold, I prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. You ever feel that way? You look at God and say, you know, I've got a good case here. Let me, let me bring it to you in prayer, maybe a form of a prayer request. But Lord, let me tell you why you need to do things differently. i got a really good case. That's what Job is saying. I've prepared my case. I'm ready to go. And Job says, I know that I am right. If Job is right, then who's wrong? His friends are wrong, and that's okay. They can be wrong. But who else is he hinting at that he may be wrong? God. Is God ever wrong? Job's got to get his mind around the fact that my job isn't to build my case. My job is to understand God's case. But Job wants to bring his case before the Lord. And even if he, as he does this, he says here in verse 19, Who is there who can contend with me? For then I would be silent and die. Job is so arrogant. After looking at his friends and going after them sarcastically for their arrogance, Job now says, If I could only bring my case to God, who is it that could contend with me? Who could tell me I'm wrong? And who is he again hinting at that can't tell him that he's wrong? He's looking, he said, we know when I talk to God, God's not going to be able to tell me I'm wrong because I'm right. Job's kind of gone off the deep end in his whole wisdom of himself, even after attacking the wisdom of his friends. And yet, he comes a little bit to his senses in verses 20 through 22. Take a look at that. Even in the midst of all this frustration, he says, only grant me two things. Now, wait a minute. If Job is right, his case is solid, and God's just going to have to relent and take care of Job the way Job thinks, why does he need to ask God to grant him anything? But he remembers who God is in the midst of all this. And he says here in verses 20 through 22, these are the two things, Lord, that I need you to grant me. Number one, grant me two things that I will not hide myself from your face. Withhold your hand far from me. Number one, take your hand far from me. What does he mean? Remember, as Job is going through this, we do need to give him a little bit of a break. He's still physically very ill, head to toe. And what he's saying is, God, if I'm going to bring my case, I need to be at my best. So you need to remove your hand from me and just let me get well. Let me be at my best to bring my case. And then secondly, he goes on and he says this, and let not dread of you terrify me. 
Even though Job is looking and saying, God, you've got to listen to me. I've got my case. I'm right. I know I'm right. He thinks about an almighty God in verses 12 and 13 of the same chapter and realizes that almighty God is power and strength and wisdom and might. And what does he say? God, if I can bring my case before you, let me do it. But don't let me be terrified before the God who is the God of wisdom and might and power and the one that I know that I have to give an account to. And so Job kind of knows, way back in the back of his mind, that he's overstepped. But he still oversteps. You ever been there? You're just so frustrated. God, you've got to do this. God, if you're going to answer my prayer, this is what it's got to look like. Is that true? Was it true for Job? God's got a wonderful end for Job. And it's God's grace. God didn't have to do any of this for Job. And we're going to see it in just a few weeks as we get there. But in the meantime, Job is saying, let me bring my petitions and do all these things. But the bottom line is, with that second petition, he knows he's in trouble with God. And so that leads him to chapter 14. And the reason we need to look at chapter 14 is, if we're not careful, again, we all end up here sometime. You ever have a pity party for yourself? You didn't. You ever know anybody who had a pity? Your spouse or your kids ever have a pity party for themselves? You know, it, it, what's the, the problem with it is it, it's so pitiful when people are having pity parties. They're, they're just caught up in themselves, and they can't see things straight, and they can no longer understand what's going on, and everything's tainted by their problems. And that's chapter 14 for Job. Look at Job chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. He's going to take his problems, and he's going to project them on everybody. He's going to say, man who is born of woman, how many of us were born of woman? Regardless of what they tell you out there, it's the only way it happens. So Job's looking out and saying, everybody out there, here's my my situation, here's what I want to tell you. Their days are few and they're full of trouble. Isn't this a guy you want to spend time with? He's going to sit down with you and tell you, you know what? You're not going to live very long and you're going to have problems every day of your life. It's just coming. Why is Job there? Because Job has let the circumstances of his life taint his theology about God. And when he thinks about God, he thinks about the God in chapter 12 who takes everybody who's got their act together and just turns it upside down. Just to do it. That's what Job is believing at this point because he can't figure anything else out. He says in verse 2, he comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. There's no hope. And when you put God in a box like Job is putting God in a box, when you can't get your mind around who God is and the fact that God doesn't necessarily work the way that we think he ought to work, we are in danger of becoming just as depressed and cynical as Job did in chapter 14. Now, we're not going to spend the next 10 minutes going through everything that Job says and does here because it just kind of gets depressing. But there's a few things we need to get a handle on. He says some few things that that make a lot of sense. But Job looks and he says here at the beginning of this passage that man's insignificant. If you look from chapter 14 all the way through about verse 8, he talks about the fact that we're just not very significant. So his point is, so why does God God bother? Why did God bother to do all that to me when I'm just not that important? Why doesn't he just leave us alone and then even it all up at the end, verses 3 through 6? Since the days are determined and the numbers of his month is in you and you've appointed his limits and he cannot pass... Look away from him and leave him alone, that he may enjoy like a hired hand his day. What has Job's theology deteriorated to in the midst of his difficulties? Job looks out and says, God, why don't you just let me be? You know, like a hired hand, you know, I had to put in the time, I had to get the work done, so now just leave me alone and give me my weekend. You know, leave me alone during the weekend. 
Let me do whatever I want and then catch up with it later. Because he's lost his perspective on God. He's lost his perspective on what happened because he can't see past the problems that he's having. He talks about nature in the heavens. And we have to be very careful because in verse 14 to 15, he begins surmising what might be his hope. He says in verse 14, If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my service I would wait till my renewal should come. What is Job saying in verse 14? Is Job denying the eternal life of the believer? He said, if a man dies, will he live again? His whole point here, if you read through it, is even if you cut a tree down, often it'll come back to life. You ever have that happen? I decided a couple, about a year ago, we had this big holly tree, and I don't know why somebody planted it in the corner of my yard, but instead of being a little ornamental thing, the thing was taller than I am. It's all over the place. Every time I walked by it, it stuck me with one of the leaves, and I finally had, had it and said, it's coming down. So I got the chainsaw out, and I cut that thing down to nothing. I left enough of the stump there so I could come back later and get the stump out, and then I walked away, and you know what? It all came back this year. It all grew back. You wouldn't know I cut it down. It's not quite as tall, but it's going to get there if I don't go after it again. And Job's looking and saying, look, even trees get that, but I don't. Once you cut me down, I'm done. And he's looking at this life here. And the problem is Job has put his focus all on the here and now. And again, you can't totally blame him. He's lost everything. He's miserable. He's lost his health. He's just waiting for God to take him. And as a sick Disturbed person. He looks at God and says, I just, it's hopeless. What are we going to do? Wouldn't it be sad if the book of Job ended there? What do we learn from these things? What do we take away from it? Just a couple of things as we finish up this morning. Number one, don't let your emotions and your personal experience mold your understanding of who God is. Your emotions will take you to all kinds of places. Your personal experience is very personal. And God is working in your life. If you're a Christian, it says all things are working together for your good. They may not feel good, but they're for your good, to make you like Jesus Christ. But at the same time, don't look and say, God must be because this is what's happening in my life right now. Because we don't have the whole picture. We're not privy to the conversation that took place. We don't know why God's doing what he's doing, but we know that God's at work, and we need to trust, and we need to obey, and we're going to sing some hymns, hopefully, at the end of this. It will help us to remember that our hope needs to really be in God. We need to be able to say, like Job said in chapter 13, very, very sincerely from the bottom of our heart, though he slay me, yet I'll hope in him. Because I know he cares for me. And even if he slays me, I know it was for my best and for my good and for his glory. And so we need to be careful that we don't let emotions and experiences taint our picture of God and how we live our lives. There's some miserable, you ever meet a miserable Christian? And you wonder, how did they get that bad? And then you see Job and say, here's a guy who was number one example of the blameless man. And when circumstances went wrong, that's where Job is. Don't let the circumstances of life make you miserable. Concentrate on who God is, how God works, and the whole truth about God. God is sovereign. He is in control. But that's not just so that he can reverse the fortunes of men, as Job had decided. He's there so that his plan can be accomplished. And you're a part of that plan. Wherever you are, whatever's happening in your life, as a Christian, you are part of God's plan to glorify himself. Secondly, if you're not the one who's struggling, take time to listen and to really hear before jumping to conclusions and judgment. 
You ever come up to somebody who starts telling you a story, and before they got half of it out, you've decided exactly what the problem is, what they need to do, and where they need That's Job's friends. Don't be one of Job's friends. You know, Job's friends were sincere. They were sincerely wrong. Job's friends cared, but they messed things up. They made things worse. And part of the problem was they didn't take the time to listen. Job says it over and over again in these chapters. You didn't listen. You didn't care. You thought you knew everything. When, you get, when somebody's talking to you about something they're going through, and you come to a conclusion halfway through, and you're not even paying attention to what they say is going on anymore, can I tell you what's happened? Because it happens to me. I have to confess it and get it right all the time. That's pride. That's arrogance. I know what's going on in you. No, you don't. That's what they're trying to express to you. I know exactly what you need to do. That's what Job's friends thought. And God's going to say at the end, Job, you better pray for these guys because I've had it with them too. Don't get to that point. Listen to folks. Take the scripture. Apply it to what they need. But make sure you hear before jumping to conclusions and judgment. Number three. Remember who God is even during your difficult times. Remember who God really is. Job lost his sight of who God was. Job lost his focus. Part of the reason we take time at the beginning of every one of our services, just a moment for prayer, is to help us to get out of the rat race of life and the circumstances that are surrounding us and say, God, help me to focus on nothing over the next hour but your truth. Help me to take this truth and apply it to my life. Because it doesn't matter what kind of stories the preacher tells, how eloquent he is, if he's in your favorite passage or not. At the end of the day, none of those make for good messages. Does it change your heart and life? Does the Spirit of God take it and apply it to you? That's a good message. That's what we need to be praying for. That God will work and teach us rather than let us get embittered and angry over what's going on. Don't allow your misconceptions of God to lead you into disillusionment. Most people who are discouraged and disillusioned have a misconception of who God is and how he works or why he works. And that's where Job ends up. Number four, last thing we're going to think about this uh, this morning before we close. Don't lose your hope in God even when you can't make sense of your circumstances. Did Job have the right theology at the beginning of the book again? You go back and he, he looks and he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And he doesn't stop there, does he? What does he say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Was Job just being a hypocrite? No, Job believed that. Job looked at his wife and said, should we receive good things and not difficult, evil things from the hand of the Lord from time to time? Was Job just spewing out something that came to his mind, or did Job believe it? He did. What happened to Job? Job let the circumstances of life so cloud his judgment, so cloud his vision of God, that he became disillusioned and discouraged. Are you disillusioned and discouraged this morning? I tell you one place to help. Love to have you here on Wednesday night. Ben's going through the Psalms. Did David ever get discouraged? Did David ever get disillusioned? How did David fix that? Psalm after Psalm after Psalm, he turns his heart back to the Lord. He remembers who God is. He remembers that God has a plan. David's life was difficult at times. But when you pick up these psalms in the midst of his difficulty, you always see a God who cares, a God who guides, and a God who's leading him to where he needs to be. If you're discouraged, if you're disillusioned, pick up the psalms. Start reading through the psalms. Talk to a friend about who God is and how God works. Don't find one of Job's friends. Don't get an Eliphaz or Zophar. But find somebody who really loves and cares for the Lord. And have them pray with you. Have them talk things through. Have them help you to get refocused.
That's going to happen for Job. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen for another 15 to 16 chapters. You know, oh, well, we're not going to go through every one verse by verse, chapter by chapter. But God's going to send somebody. If you're discouraged, if you're disillusioned, if you're struggling, don't pray that God will give you a chance to make your case. Pray that God will bring somebody in your life that will help you get focus, help you see Jesus Christ for who he is, for what he does, for what he wants to do in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your love for us. We thank you for your care. And Lord, we pray that we won't let the circumstances of life cloud our vision of who you are. So many times, difficulties and relationships and things that are just out of our control impact our spiritual lives. God, I pray that you'll help us to see you in the midst of the circumstances. Lord, I pray as well from the other side of things that you'll help us to be the kind of friends who will point people to Jesus Christ who will listen, who will hear, who will be compassionate, who will give the truth, but who will do it in such a way that your spirit might work to change lives and point them again to you and who you are and how you work. Lord, work in our lives, and even as we conclude the service, I pray that you'll encourage our hearts, regardless of what our circumstances may be. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.